Welcome to Pitch by Stitch Highlights, a mini episode where we break down a topic from the main episode into a little bit more detail to add yet another stitch to the story of the history of baseball. I'm your host, Felisa Gardenas, and today we're going to cover the rules and regulations of the Knickerbocker Baseball Club, reportedly written by Alexander Joy Cartwright in 1845. It is highly believed that these were the first rules of baseball to ensure uniformity of the game played among the ball clubs from various regions in the country. But it's still highly debated whether or not these are the first rules of baseball or just the first recorded rules of baseball. These rules may sound a little familiar to you as the game of baseball hasn't changed too much from these original 20 that were written down. Rule number one is members must strictly observe the time agreed upon for exercise and be punctual in their attendance. Members of the Knickerbocker Baseball Club often had to decamp to New Jersey to find a suitable field to play. And so they didn't want to boat across the Hudson River only to discover that there weren't enough players to field two teams. Rule number two, when assembled for exercise, the president or in his absence, the vice president shall appoint an umpire who shall keep the game in a book provided for that purpose and know all violations of the bylaws and rules during the time of exercise. Umpiring was an amateur gig until 1875 when the National League instituted a pre-game rate of $5 payable by the home team and a one-man operation until the turn of the century when a second umpire was added. A four-man crew was introduced at the 1909 World Series, but only for the postseason. Regular season quartets didn't hit the diamond until 1952. The box score, as modern fans know it, was invented in 1859 by the sports writer Henry Chadwick, who was himself sometimes called the father of baseball. Chadwick never warmed to the honor, arguing baseball never had no father. It just growed. Rule 3. The presiding officer shall designate two members as captains, who shall retire and make the match to be played, observing at the same time that the players put opposite to each other should be as nearly equal as possible. The choice of sides to be then tossed for, and the first in hand to be decided in like manner. And when they say choice of sides to be then tossed for, they mean a coin toss. And first in hand means the first team up to bat, hands being innings. Not until the late 1880s did it become common practice for the visiting team to bat first. Rule 4. The bases shall be from home to second base, 42 paces. From first to third base, 42 paces, equidistant. Back in the day, home plate was round, thus why it's called a home plate, before morphing into first a diamond and then around the turn of the 20th century, the five-cornered beauty it is today. A pace in this context of the rule in 1845 was the vague measure of a man's step, or roughly three feet. That put the distance across the diamond at 126 feet, give or take, and the distance between consecutive bases at a tad over 89 feet, very close to the 90 feet which has been the standard since the 1850s. Rule 5. No stump match shall be played on a regular day of exercise. A stump match means an unofficial or trunicated version of the game. Basically, the rule makers didn't want players to get hurt in a game that didn't count. Rule 6. If there should not be a sufficient number of members of the club present at the time agreed upon to commence exercise, gentlemen not members may be chosen in to make up the match, which shall not be broken up to take in members that may afterward appear, 
but in all cases, members shall have the preference when present at the making of the match. This means that the number wasn't nine until 1857 when rules were formulated at a convention in New York. In fact, there was an early intra-club rebellion among Knickerbockers about the appropriate squad size. Those pushing for 18-man teams left the club when the faction pushing for a lower number prevailed. Rule 7. If members appear after the game is commenced, they may be chosen if mutually agreed upon. Which is pretty much talking about agreeing upon substitutions. Rule 8. The game is to consist of 21 counts or aces, but at the conclusion an equal number of hands must be played. In other words, the first to score 21 wins. Aces, probably a card-playing reference like 21, was eventually changed to the cricket term of runs, and games were standardized to nine innings in 1857. Rule 9. The ball must be pitched and not thrown for the bat. A distinction is being made here between overhand and underhand tosses. The point of the pitch was to serve the ball to the batter, making it as easy as possible to hit, thereby leaving his fate to the fielders. Pitches transformed into overhand defensive weapons in 1884, at least in the Knickerbocker game anyway. In the Massachusetts game, which disappeared as the New York game spread and evolved, and we'll learn more about in the next episode, pitchers delivered overhand from the start. Rule 10. A ball knocked out of the field or outside the range of the first or third base is foul. That's right. What is now a home run was at first a foul. The reason is purely situational. The regular playing area, Elysian Fields, located in Hoboken, New Jersey, was located right next to the Hudson River. When balls were hit out of bounds, they landed in the water. Balls were expensive, so irretrievable shots were discouraged. Rule 11. Three balls being struck at and missed and the last one caught is a handout. If not caught, is considered fair and the striker bound to run. It wasn't until 1858 that a batter, or the striker, could be called out on a hittable pitch, a rule instituted as a punishment for batters who refused to swing at anything, but only after a warning from the ump. Here and everywhere else in the rules, a handout refers to any sort of kind of out. Rule 12. If a ball is struck or tipped and caught, either flying or on the first bound, it is a handout. This rule was in effect until 1864 anyway. Foul balls caught on a bounce continue to be outs until 1883. Rule 13. A player running the bases shall be out if the ball is in the hands of an adversary on the base, or the runner is touched with it before he makes base. It being understood, however, that in no instance is a ball to be thrown at him. This admonishment seems obvious. They don't call it hardball for nothing. But in rounders and other stick and ball games, fielders were allowed to throw at runners to get them out, including in the Massachusetts version of the game. Rule 14. A player running who shall prevent an adversary from catching or getting the ball before making his base is a handout. Rule 15. Three handouts, all out. Rule 16. Players must take their strike in regular turn. An at-bat in this case, and similar to the use of hand, strike had multiple meanings in the early days. In these rules, it could also mean a hit ball. In the 1850s, the term began to take on its current meaning, for example, a swing and a miss, a foul ball, or a pitch the batter lets pass that the umpire deems to have been in a hittable zone. Rule 17. 
all disputes and differences relative to the game to be decided by the umpire, from which there is no appeal. Umpire descends from the French word non-pair, or not equal. This terminology likely has to do with umpires being a class above than with their task of acting as mediators of disputes. Rule 18. No ace or base can be made on a foul strike. Today, a runner may, after tagging up, advance and score on a caught foul pop. Rule 19. A runner cannot be put out in making one base when a balk is made by the pitcher. And finally, Rule 20. But one base allowed when a ball bounds out of the field when struck. The modern ground rule calls for two bases. As mentioned earlier about the possible father of baseball, you can actually learn more about who really is considered the founding father of baseball by listening to our previous episode, Who's Your Daddy? Wherever you stream podcast. To learn more about the Knickerbocker name's roots, as well as more details about this week's episode, check out our website, pitchxstitch.com. Don't forget, you can talk baseball with us in between uploads on Twitter at pitchxstitch or on Instagram at pitch underscore x underscore stitch. Today's source was On the Origins of Sports, the Early History and Original Rules of Everybody's Favorite Games by Gary Belsky and Neil Fine. And that about does it for this week's Pitch by Stitch highlight. We hope you enjoyed this deeper, closer look at the rules of the game. As we previously mentioned, our next episode, we're going to dive into the two most popular versions of baseball's rules before they kind of settled on a uniform version of the game. And that episode will be dropping Friday. So be sure to subscribe so you do not miss out on a single thing. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.